So the year is 1925. Post-World War I, the effects of World War I were still very much on the minds of the people. 16 million or more people dead in four years. It's almost four million, over 4 million people a year died. Left whole generations almost completely wiped out. All of Europe and the Middle East completely restructured, reorganized, changed forever. And while the fighting had stopped, peace definitely wasn't reigning in the world at that time. They had nationalist extremists rising, people like Hitler, Lenin, Mussolini, they were coming to power. And it was in the midst of all this turmoil, all this confusion and chaos, that Pope Pius XI, in that year, instituted the feast that we celebrate today, the Feast of Christ the King. Reminding the people that no matter how bleak it looked, no matter how hopeless it seemed, no matter who was in power, no matter what was going on in the world, no matter what, Christ has to be the true king. Christ is the true king. He has to be the one who's going to reign. That's the only way that real peace is going to come into the world, is if it comes through the reign of Christ in the kingdom of God. That's where true and lasting peace comes from, by entrusting ourselves into that kingdom. And that's not just this abstract idea that, yes, Christ is king of the world, and that doesn't really have anything to do with our reality. Jesus said, and the fathers have commented on this, he said, the kingdom of God is within you. It comes to a very personal level. Christ, the kingdom of Christ, is in each one of us. And Christ has to be the king on that personal level too. The kingdom of God, we are the kingdom of God. Christ is king of each one of our own lives. But it's got to be the king of every single aspect of that life. It's it's an all or nothing kind of deal. So Christ has to be king of our jobs. Christ has to be the king of our marriages. Christ has to be the king of our families. Christ has to be the king of our hobbies. Every single aspect of our life, we entrust to the Lord as king. Not just this Christ is king of the religious part of my life, and I have all these other things to manage. Or I say that Christ is king with words, but don't really act out that the fact that that's actually true. Christ desires to be king of everything. And I think in America especially, we kind of have this, this um, negative connotation of what it means to be a king, right? I mean, we, well, when we think about king, the first thing I think of is King George, who we rebelled against as a country. We kind of have this negative idea of a king, right? Our whole country was founded on a rebellion against monarchy. We think of a king as a tyrant, this guy who's just kind of imposing his will upon others, disconnected from the people, doesn't really care about what's good for them. He's just doing what he wants solely because that's just what he wants to do, all about imposing his power upon other people. And we value these things like democracy, like letting the people decide, like each letting each person have their own opinion, even going so so far as to create their own truth, right? We kind of have this... We, see, we hear king and we're like, well, that's not, that's not the way to go, right? We have to truly understand, though, what, kind of, what a king really is and what kind of king Jesus is and desires to be in our life. Because unless we do that, we're never really going to be in a place to entrust ourselves to Christ as our king because we're misunderstanding what, what, what he means by that. And the readings today all paint a picture about what kind of king Jesus comes to be and what it means to entrust ourselves to Christ as king. 
both in the figure of David, what we hear in the first reading, and then Jesus himself in the gospel. And the first reading, it's a very short first reading where we hear the moment when David is anointed as king over all of Israel. What we don't see in this very short reading is that this is the culmination of over 20 years of David waiting. What had happened was the people of Israel, they initially didn't have a king. And they, they saw all the other nations around them, they had kings. And they wanted to be like all the other nations. So they asked the prophet Samuel, we want a king like all the other nations. And initially God said, no, like I'm your king. You don't need to be like the other nations. I am your king. Set up, and you're, you're set apart. The people kept persisting, and to teach him a lesson, God kind of acquiesced. And so Saul was anointed the first king of Israel, which was disastrous for the people. And the people, realizing their mistake, begged the Lord for forgiveness, and so God raised up for them a good king, one who would image his very self to them, to be a sign to the people of God. And so that's where King David comes in. And Samuel anointed David king of Israel while Saul was still alive and reigning. But Saul refused to abdicate. So what Samuel did, instead of waiting, or I mean, no, instead of grasping, instead of trying to by force take his kingship, he waited. He trusted that the Lord would put him there as, as he saw fit, and so he waited for the Lord. So David spent most of his life, 20 years, either waiting, a lot of times fleeing from Saul who would try to kill him, even going so far as to serve in the military under Saul to help build up his kingdom. Showing the incredible trust that David had, that this kingship wasn't his to grasp, but it was a gift the Lord had given to him. We all, we all know the story of David and Goliath, which happened kind of in the midst of all this. And that exemplifies very well David. See, David and Goliath has not... Um, this idea of the little guy coming to beat the big guy, this underdog kind of story. Because in no world would a pebble thrown at you kill somebody, right? What this was meant to be, was an, it, it, that was an act of God. It wasn't David who beat Goliath. It was God who beat Goliath through David. Because David trusted in the Lord, and he put himself in a place where God could act. David wasn't relying on himself. He knew in every situation, if I wait on the Lord, he will act. David, the scriptures call him as a man after God's own heart. That's the kind of king that he was, a man who was always seeking what the Lord wanted above all else, not relying on himself, on his own power, but a man seeking after God's own heart. And then in our gospel, Jesus kind of takes that to its fulfillment. The gospel, Jesus is, is nailed upon the cross, he's dying being mocked on all sides. And I think it's this image of Jesus that shows him really at the height of his real kingly power. Because true kingship doesn't involve earthly power. On an earthly level, Jesus was done. He was dead. The people had lost all faith. But in terms of trust, in terms of waiting on the Lord, Jesus too relied on the Father. He prayed, not my will, Father, but yours be done. I came not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. And so he puts himself in this place of utter humiliation to sacrifice himself for the sake of the good of the other people. 
And everyone kept telling him the same thing. Save yourself. Save yourself. Save yourself. If you are the king, save yourself. Prove yourself. Save us. Do what you want. Do what we want. Imposing this earthly idea of kingship in Jesus knows who he is. He knows the kind of king that he came to be. And he resists all of that. Because his only mission was to do the will of the Father. Not here to impose his own power, to show himself as this glorious you know, majesty, but as the humble servant of the Lord who sacrifices everything for the sake of that service and for the sake of our own salvation, which came from that. That's what real kingship is. Not taking our power to ourself, not doing what we want, but relying on the greater. Waiting on the Lord and trusting that through that, he will act through us in whatever situation that looks like. Looks like us being men and women after God's own heart. That's the kind of king that Jesus is, and that's the kind of king that we're called to imitate and to entrust ourselves to. Being a people of seeking after God's own heart before anything else. Not living for this world's power, but living for God working through us. We're at the end of the liturgical year. New season starts next week. Advent is upon us. There's already Christmas decorations on the Jackson Street Bridge. The music has been going since the day after Halloween. Advent, Advent's coming. And Advent is a great time to examine that question. What is Christ not king of over in my own life? What have I not entrusted to him? Advent is a time of preparation for the coming of the king. The king who comes, not in majesty, but in the beautiful image of a helpless child. How, what aspects of my life do I need to entrust to the Lord? How can I better conform my life to image that, that idea of a king? The humble, helpless, trusting servant who's waiting for the Lord to act. Advent is a great time to examine that. And maybe taking this week to think about this Advent, how right now in my life, November 2019, is the Lord entrusting, is the Lord calling me to entrust myself to him more fully? What aspects of my life do I need to let him be king over, that I hold back, that I hide from him? Where can I trust more so that his power may be made more manifest in that area of my life? There's always things that we can, we can trust that can always be deepened. How is the Lord inviting you to do that today, this week?